<laughs> Grab your Bibles. Let's put them over our hearts. Say this with me. This is God's written living word to me. What he thinks about me. It reveals who God says I am. And tells me what God says I can have. Because it's how God thinks. I choose to believe and act on what I'll read. And thus I am transformed. This morning we're going to continue in our present series called Great Faith. And I've entitled this morning's message, How to Stand in Faith. Why have a series on the subject of faith? Because the writer of Hebrews says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. I want to be pleasing to God. And I want to know the things that especially please Him. However, unless I'm doing any of those things in faith, I'm not pleasing Him. It's impossible to please God without faith. Two weeks ago, our big idea was this, and they'll put it on the screen here for you. There is not a handout this morning. Um, I did not have time to um, complete that, and so I decided not to do it. And to, uh, whenever anything extra is going to take away from my, t my prayer time and my study time, I put it on the side until I feel like I uh, have the word of the Lord. Then I will tend to those other things. And so from week to week, some things just get let go in the interest of me being sure I have the word of the Lord. So uh, you may want to take a back of your bulletin or what have you and make a couple of notes. Our big idea two weeks ago was that couch potato faith will never enjoy Olympic-sized blessings. And so I decided I'm not going to have couch potato faith. I've decided that since faith is like a muscle, I'm going to exercise mine and I'm going to feed it so that my faith grows and I can receive all that God has for me. Last week our big idea was that if faith isn't required for what you're planning, then your plans fall short of what God has planned for you. So I've decided to live in big faith and believe God for big things. This week our big idea is this, standing in faith is acting on God's direction knowing he will deliver, protect, and provide. Could we all say it together? I believe it's on the screen. Ready? Read. Standing in faith is acting on God's direction. Knowing he will deliver, protect, and provide. Yes, amen. And our text is found in the book of Hebrews. Join me there. We're going to begin in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, starting in verse 32. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 32. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to 
to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better pos possession and an abiding one. I find it very interesting, Pastor Rod, in light of uh, what you shared during our landing and the encouragement that you brought so uh, wonderfully and strongly. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. When's the last time you had your property plundered and you said, Hallelujah! Glory! Man, that's great! You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? Verse 35, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure, there's that word, in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we're of those who have faith and preserve their souls, keeping in mind that the New Testament was not written with chapter and verse designations. These were letters as you would write a letter to someone. And so the thought as we end in verse 39 of chapter 10 rolls right into chapter 11. And again, there is no designation of verses and chapters. This is one thought. So let me read verse 39 again. But we are not of those who shrink back and, and are destroyed, but we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. And now if you would, please scroll down to verse 29. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been circled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the fire, power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. There's women that received their dead back. Through resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. I want you to notice that sometimes your trial and the outcome of that trial is your decision. Oh, that, that deserved a response, actually. <laughs> I'm, I'm not really a response preacher, but... 
I want you to think about that. Especially if you feel like everything is just in God's hands. He's sovereign. Everything that happens to me is the will of God. He enacts it. He initiates it. He sees it through. He manages it while it's happening. And he sees it through the end. And he's the one that gives me the outcome he desires. Really. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. Release was available and they refused it. They endured the torture. Why? So that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom this world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and, and, and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Again, no chapter, no verse. This is a letter. We keep reading. Same thought. Therefore, therefore, because of everything that was just spelled out in chapter 11 about this great hall of faith, individuals who through faith did all of these incredible things, some of them even electing not to receive deliverance so that they could go ahead and die knowing that they were going to be resurrected to see their God. All of it was by faith, and yet there was something that was still outstanding that none of those Old Testament saints received. They looked forward to it, but they weren't able to receive it, and we're told as we open up in chapter 12 what it was. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the great hall of faith. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so easily and let us run with endurance, say it, let us run with, endurance. say it again, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us doing what looking to Jesus the founder and the perfecter or the author and the finisher of our faith he authored it he's finishing it what you do with it in between is your business you can grow it like a muscle he wants you to use it to please him and to live an abundant life here now on this earth but one day, praise God, one day, by faith, we are going to meet the author and the finisher. We're looking to Jesus. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. See, he did the same thing. He could have called on a legion of angels to set him free, take him off that cross, or at any point in going to the cross, deliver him from the hands of those Roman soldiers and, and, and the individuals that crucified him. He could have accepted his deliverance and release. But he went to the cross. Despising the shame. And he's seated at the right hand of God. Verse 3. Consider him who endured, endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? 
Why, why do we have this great faith that's capable of so much? And why even in such great faith did some choose not to be released? And what does that faith today mean to you and me as we face various trials of life? Watch this. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. Because you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood. Wow. Standing in faith is impossible unless you know what you're standing for. You've got to learn the gospel. Then you'll be able to face the onslaught of the enemy the onslaught of his doubts and his questioning, the satanic forces which, which constantly try to plague our minds to take us away from this great life of Christianity. Thank you, Jeff. You can bring that down. We have an issue of extremes today. On one hand, we have those who believe in the theology of judgment. God's mad. He's mad at you. Disobey him and he's going to squash you like a bug. You've never heard it explained that way, but that's my short rendering of it. God's mad. He's got a chip on his shoulder. And he's just looking among his children trying to find somebody doing something wrong so that he can judge you or at least make you feel guilty and bad that you disobeyed him that's one extreme but the other extreme is where this wonderful promise of an abundant life here on earth and we'll talk more about that in a moment is taken to the extreme of just oh some have called it name it and claim it blab and grab it blab it and grab it <laughs> in other words I can just say things from my mouth and have anything I want and God is sort of turned into an errand boy and so Chris the Christian life becomes one of obtaining things obtaining material wealth and pleasures so that I can simply enjoy myself rather than having those things as a result of glorifying God and being completely surrendered to Him. You see, I really don't care about the nice home that I live in. I care about Jesus. I care about my life loving and worshiping and being surrendered to Him. And in the process of that, He blesses my life with good things. But I don't take my eyes off him. You see, our text says we keep our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith, not on the things that faith will bring, but on the author of the faith in the first place. Did you get that? God's not against any of us having great, wonderful, pleasurable things. But don't take your eyes off of the one who's the author of it all, and the author of the very faith that got you what you're enjoying. Now, here's the issue that we have when we talk about the gospel. 
We've got to settle in our heart before we can stand in faith what the gospel is. If we understand what the gospel is, then we can stand in faith when the enemy tries to move us away from or off of the gospel. Does that make sense? Number one, the gospel is God is good. God is not a God of judgment. God is a God of love. You say, what about all those Old Testament passages? Yes, in the Old Testament, you will find a God of judgment. Keep in mind, that was Old Covenant prior to Christ. I submit to you that Jesus Christ dying on the cross and being resurrected from the dead should be somewhat of a dividing line in your thought when you study the Bible. There is an Old and a new covenant. And the new covenant, according to Hebrews, is called a better covenant built on better promises. Why is it better? What makes it better? There must be something. There must be a reason why we needed a new covenant. Right? Why do you need a new something? Why, why, why Anna, the last car you purchased, was it new? It was used. Have you ever bought a new car? Why did you buy a new car? Yeah, it was a, it was a better deal. <laughs> That's a good point. It covered everything in terms of maintenance, and the old one just wasn't performing. It was costing you money. It, it was costing you time. You weren't getting to appointments on time. It wasn't starting in the dead of winter. Yada 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 yada. Okay, that's one of the reasons why why I lease. By the way, just you know, this isn't in the Bible. It's a little personal commentary here. I've never been late to an appointment because my car wouldn't start. Never miss something important I wanted to go to because my car stopped in the middle of the highway leaking oil. You know why? I always drive a new car. That's just a personal decision that I make. I choose to rent rather than to own. It just makes sense to me. But I'll tell you what, when it comes to the gospel, you better settle this. Is God good and is that based on a new covenant? Or are you still living in the old covenant? In the old covenant, blessing came after obedience. God's favor was a response to your obedience. In the New Testament, blessing comes before obedience. Favor's already been given. And because of that, I love him. Because of that, because he first loved me, I love him and I seek him. And so even when, unfortunately, I disobey him and do those things that displease him, he does not withdraw his favor. He does not withdraw his blessing. I continue to walk. In fact, the psalmist in, in, in Psalm 23 said it this way. For all the days of your life, mercy and goodness. Goodness. Mercy and what? Goodness. Say it out loud, church. Mercy and goodness. will do what? Follow, follow you. And what's that we learned in the Hebrew? What's the word follow mean? Chase. Pursue. Pursue. Pastor Rod, stand up. Start running. I mean, I mean, no matter where you go. I mean, mercy and goodness is going to find you and chase you down. And I want to remind you how much younger he is. 
God's goodness never gets old. God's mercy will never stop chasing you. And it's His love, His goodness, His mercy when I do fail Him that drives me to my knees with a broken heart saying, My God, why did I do that again? Forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. I submit to you that the first attribute of the gospel is that God is good. Number two, Jesus bore all judgment for sin. If he did, I never will. Past, present, or future, Jesus bore the judgment of my sin. Number three, we are in Christ and therefore all provision of life and godliness is provided it's already mine. Now, if that's the gospel, if those three things characterize the root of the gospel, I submit to you we have something worth standing for. No matter what else is happening in life, if that's the gospel, I can stand for that. No matter how great the trial is, no matter how great the difficulty that's coming against my life, if what I just told you is the gospel, I can stand. I can have faith through anything. You see, faith finds its expression in the fire. Dear ones, we live in a generation of gratification. Everything now and everything fast. And so you younger people, you teens and you 20-somethings, you, you listen to me. The church, especially the American church, in these last 20 years, has done the body of Christ a great disservice. We have failed to prepare you for the reality of a walk with God. We've told you you can just name it and claim it. We've told you all the promises are yours. We've told you about how you can just use your faith to receive. And bless God, once you become a Christian, you know, it's just going to change your life completely and everything's going to be great if you'll just believe and trust God. I submit to you that once you believe on the Lord and receive Him as your Savior and you become filled with His Spirit, you are just entering. You're just beginning a life of challenge, of test, of difficulty. And I want you to wake up. I want you to approach Christianity with both eyes open. I don't want to force feed something down you that gives you the idea that walking with Jesus is anything less than what it is. It is full of glory. It is full of promise. It is full of life and joy and peace and love. But boy, I'll tell you, God gave you faith for the very reason of this message. Because while you're walking with Jesus, you are going to experience some trial and some difficulty because you are faithfully His. Because you claim His name. Because you're standing on the gospel and you've claimed the name of Jesus. 
the forces of hell become interested in you when you say yes to Jesus. They weren't interested in you before. They didn't give a rip about your life before you came to Jesus. They can just put mess on autopilot. And, and, and just they don't even have to goof with you, really. Your life can be a mess just like weeds grow in a garden. Have you ever noticed you don't have to tend weeds? I mean, you know what I mean? I, I mean, you have to tend, you have to manage them to get them out. But I'm saying, unlike everything else that you plant, that you have to tend and you have to water and you have to, oh my goodness, growing a garden is a lot of work. And what happens if you just let it go? Just the Lord will take care of it. The Lord's blessed me with these seeds. Now I'm going to put them in the ground, the soil of my heart, and he'll just bless it and he'll just make it all come out okay. How's that working for the garden out back that you haven't tended to for the last two years? No fruit. <laughs> Not only is there's no fruit, but now it's overgrown with undesirable things. It's such a picture, which is why Jesus used that analogy, of the Christian walk. You have to diligently, fervently, faithfully tend to your Christian walk. It takes faith. And that's one of the reasons God gave us faith. It's, it's why Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith so that we can learn how to live a godly life. We can stand through adversity. Those who live by faith are not exempt from adversity. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Standing in faith is not for the faint of heart. The most courageous thing you'll ever do is stare down an overwhelming fear which is spewing the words, it's impossible, and determine that you are going to believe and act on God's word instead of what you're hearing in those voices. Again, the Apostle Paul says, oh, these light afflictions are but for a moment. When you compare them to the eternal weight of glory, we're all going to receive at the end of our faith. Sure, there's trials. Sure, there's tests. Sure, there's afflictions for a Christian who will stand up and live a godly life, who will dare to believe the Word of God and lift it above their head, above their circumstances, above their own reasonings. Of course, the enemy of your soul is going to attack your life with difficulty as a result of you taking that stand of faith in the Word of God. And so our big idea is this. Standing in faith is acting on God's direction, knowing that He will deliver, protect, and provide. I want you to hear something. You can't ask God to change and move what he isn't ready to change and move. I know that wasn't very deep, but actually it's pretty deep if you'll stop and think about that in comparison with what some of you have been praying. Oh God, move this. Oh God, would you take this out of my life? Oh God, would you just change or alter this difficulty or these circumstances? Because... You know, Lord, how they're affecting my life. You're not going to get God to move anything that he doesn't want to move. 
And he's not going to change anything that he wants you to stay in as a trial of your faith and learn to stand up under. The word stand from the Greek language is hupomeno. It, it means to build a bridge under, to stand up under. The only way sometimes we're going to know whether or not our faith can really take on the issues of life is for our faith to be tested. It's when faith is tested we have an opportunity, as James says it, count it all joy when you fall into various, various sundry trial or temptations, knowing, knowing that the test of your faith produces the test, say it, the test of my faith will actually produce for me. Don't ask God to move or change tests that are actually there to produce good things for you. You just have to learn how to stand in faith on the gospel and walk that thing out. What am I talking about? Hebrews chapter 12, we stopped reading at a certain point, but let's keep reading. Verse 3, consider him who endured from such sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate child and not a son. There are translations that say you are a bastard. Curse word? No. Illegitimate. You're a bastard son. If you're never disciplined, if you never experience any difficulty or trial or test of your faith, then you don't really know the son-father relationship. <laughs> the very nature of a son-father relationship is that there's going to be testing to your faith. Well, I'll tell you, uh, let me finish this. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we might share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems to be painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields, here it is, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been, what? trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your feeble knees. Oh, sometimes I get so frustrated when some of the greatest burdens, some of the real challenges that some Christians seem to face is that somebody didn't say hello to you in the hallway. Dear Jesus. We have a list of saints in chapter 11 who endured beatings, who endured storms, who were shipwrecked, 
individuals who were sawn in two. And you're complaining that a church service goes too long. You're complaining that the worship leader didn't sing your favorite song in the way that he normally sings that song every other Sunday, but this Sunday was just off. You're complaining that <laughs> you prayed and it didn't happen right away. And so here you are having to believe God and you needed this to happen on Friday and now it's Saturday, Sunday, Monday and you're ready to give up your Christian walk. You're mad at God. You're ready to falter in your faith. Dear Lord, do you see what's happening? We've accepted this gospel that's a foreign gospel in the scriptures. God is good, but God never promised that he was going to do everything on your time. God is good. He, is, he put all the judgment for sin upon Jesus Christ. But he never promised you that you weren't going to have and meet some very difficult people in the church. And have to learn how to get along with them. I spent many years, a couple of decades all told, in corporate America. And, and, and I'm not talking just a mom and pop business down at the corner store. Which I appreciate those, thank God for those. They really are the backbone, the small businessman of our country. But in corporate America, the likes of Time Warner Telecom. IBM's. My wife was a recruiter. I was the kind of technical guy that my wife would recruit and put out on jobs. Avaya. Lucent Technologies. I was there in corporate America. I dealt with some of the most difficult people. I'd have to go take walks on my lunch, Chad, to just breathe, to exhale. How many of you remember the movie? We had to exhale just to be able to come back from lunch and deal with some of the personalities. But I submit to you, I've never dealt in corporate America with some of the difficulty, the pettiness, the, oh, I'm, I'm at a loss for ab adjectives. Pastor Rod, you could probably help me out having been a pastor of your own church. I've never had to deal with some of the things that I've had to deal with in the Christian church with Christians who are born again, report to be spirit-filled, love God, love church, and some of the smallest, <laughs> insignificant things will take them I've had people leave the church over some of the most ridiculous issues you, you know what I'm talking about it happens in every church maybe you're one of those that left the church because the pastor changed the color of the carpet or moved the organ from the right side to the left side and at that point God is in heaven saying dear Lord I had people sawn asunder I had Paul shipwrecked and beaten 
for the gospel. And you're going to leave church over that? Are you getting my drift? Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. But dear ones, he's not going to move. I'll tell you something, by the way. If you do decide to leave, know that all the baggage that you're complaining about there will be at the next church. Because it's in you. <laughs> you brought it. You fostered it. And now you're taking it to the next place. I'm going to preach a message on the right way to leave a church because, brother, listen to me. Sister, there are right ways to leave a church. There are good times to leave a church. Some of you are here because you left a church, but you left in a godly way. You left in a blessed way. You left with the pastor's blessing. You left, you talked to the pastor about it, all right. You, you, you did it in faith. You did not do it in offense. I don't know why I'm on this. But I'm telling you, you cannot claim God's benefit and power and strength to stand in faith after you act like that about something so petty when God is saying, Dear Lord, I gave you a hall of faith to look at as an example of the kind of things that ought to encourage us. If they did that, if they stood, if they endured that, if Jesus... Sweat drops of blood in the garden for me. And then hung on a cross and took the judgment that was due me on his life. The writer of Hebrews says, you've not yet done that. Which one of you has been crucified? Which one of you has sweat drops of blood? Because of the weight of the sin of the world on your shoulders when you did nothing wrong. Which one are you? And so God will not move. He will not change some of the things in our lives until we respond in faith and we learn to stand up under and give Him praise and glorify Him through it. How do we stand? Let me give you three things. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll close. Hebrews chapter 10. Keep in mind this is a letter. Keep in mind there's no chapters, no verses, all of that. It's one, the author's just pinning a personal letter here to these Christians, and he's writing. Another text, proof text for us here, as we're turning to Hebrews, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. Listen to this. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong. In 35 plus years of preaching, 30 of those as a senior pastor, all the times I've read the Bible and read that verse, I never saw what it says as I did this time. Listen. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Be strong. <laughs> now, dear ones, I, I have to say that acting like a man today has never been more 
messed up, never been more compromised, never been more befuddling in our time than it is right now. We don't know what a man is. And of course, nowadays you can change. If you don't like being a man, you can become a woman. What is a man? When the scripture says act like a man, what's that mean? And by the way, this scripture was written to all the women too. Women, you're supposed to act like a man. <laughs> no, that was not a phone call. That was a, your time is up. You know who installed that app? All the elders. Put that app on my phone so I would... Okay, we're going to wrap this thing up. How do you stand like a man? How do you act like a man? There are certain characters... Now listen, women. Who created the woman? Dad, who, who created the woman? God. Who created the man? God. Who gave the woman all of her beautiful attributes, her feminine qualities, her kindness, kindnesses, her, her, her paternal care, just the things that make a woman a woman? Dad, who gave? God. Who gave the man that hunter instinct? Those usually greater muscles, that desire to... Get out and hunt and kill it, bag it and bring it home. And, you know, all of, you know, those more, it seems to be a little more manly care. Who gave those to him? So God is both the best of what is feminine and he's the best of what is male. But he says there are times in your faith where you need to act like a man. And so, since we don't have a very good idea in society today what acting like a man is. Let's go to the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 10. All one thought, all one letter here. He's talking about our full assurance. He's talking about approaching the Father in faith. He's talking about the new covenant. Verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us. He opened that curtain. I mean his flesh. And, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, watch this, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast, verse 23, the confession of our hope. And verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another up. I'll tell you what, it takes a man's man to draw near to God and put him first in your life. Amen. Say whatever you want about in this society what's right and what's wrong, what's manly, what's not, what's effeminate and what, you know, classifies as male today. I know one thing. Men of God and women of God that are going to be manly in their faith, men and women, draw near to God. 
They don't compromise coming to church. They don't compromise gathering in small groups. They don't compromise praying daily for opportunities to share their faith with others who haven't yet begun that journey. They draw near to God. Number two, they hold fast the gospel. They're not moved. They love God, yes, and they draw near to Him, but they also hold fast to what the Word of God teaches. And they will not be moved off of that. Anything that comes to try to draw you off of the gospel or get you to leave the church or leave Jesus or, or stop following Jesus, that's not manly. You teens, listen to me. One of the greatest challenges you have as a teenager is staying faithful to Jesus in those years where all your buds, all right, all the school friends and all the pals you hang out with are making a different decision. Let me tell you something, teenagers. It takes a man to live for Jesus. It takes a man to draw near to God and endure the kind of test and trial that you will endure for being a Christian takes a man and number three let us stir up one another to good works you know it takes a man to take somebody out to lunch and say how are you how's your walk with Jesus is there anything going on right now that I could help you with that takes a man and ladies God wants you to do that too he wants you to stir up others you see somebody in the congregation? You know somebody in the congregation who hasn't been to church for several weeks? Don't gossip about it. Don't, don't go to three or four other people in the church and say, hey, you know, wonder what's wrong with so-and-so. Haven't seen him for a while. Wonder what they're mad at. Wonder what happened to them. You have no right to do that or even bring that up until you've Ask them to lunch. Call them personally. Ask them to lunch. Go out with them and say, hey man, I just miss you. I just wanted you to know I love you. I miss you around here. How are you doing in your walk with Jesus? Don't bring up Genesis. Don't bring up that they've missed services. That's not important. Ask them about Jesus. Ask them first about their walk with God. And then as you build a relationship, then you can talk about where they're going to church and why they're going to church and those other things. I've gone on. Play, play Josiah, where are you? 